The flight deck is made possible by the generous donors supporting the Museum of Flight. You can support this podcast and the Museum of Flight's other initiatives across the United States and the world by visiting museumofflight.org slash podcast. Hello and welcome to The Flight Deck, the podcast of the Museum of Flight in Seattle, Washington. I am your host, Sean Mobley. Today is another installment of our Personal Courage series, covering the stories of the people who serve the United States in times of war and other conflict. I am excited for today's episode to introduce you to Dick Nelms, a World War II veteran who flew 35 missions over Germany as a B-17 bomber pilot. In this story, he'll take us along on one of his missions and share how he and his comrades dealt with the fear and other realities of war. I was born February 17, 1923, in Cleveland, Ohio. When I was born, it was only five years after World War I finished. And... uh, the airplanes were very fascinating to me, the old jennies and top with camels and things like that. And I used to build model airplanes. I started when I was about six or seven years old and uh, just loved it, just loved airplanes. Before the war, I was a checker at the A&P supermarket in Columbia, South Carolina. I worked part-time during my school years and then got a regular job when I graduated from school in 1941. I really didn't know exactly what I wanted to do at that time, but it didn't take long because uh, uh, the Pearl Harbor situation was December 7th of 1941. So we knew, everyone knew they were going to have to go to war. I was, I was 20 when we first, I first started training in, in the B-7 train. By the time I got overseas in April, I had just turned 21. My birthday is February. We'd be asleep in our hut. The Quonset hut, they call them Nissan huts in, in England. And as early as 3.30 in the morning sometimes, the, the CQ, the charge of quarters, would kick the door open and come in shouting at us, up and at them, fly boys, rise and shine, off your back and out of the sack, that sort of thing. I remember one time that our bombardier threw his shoe at him, and it wasn't really trying to hit him, it went skidding across the floor, and, and, and as the CQ walked out, he says, I hope your accuracy improves somewhat this afternoon. <laughs> and we would walk down to the uh, mess hall for breakfast. And I'd always eat as much as I could because it could be 11 or 12 hours before we'd eat again. We'd get on the plane, I'd check to make sure the crew was all there, go through a pre-flight check, start up the engines, check them out, make sure everything was okay. Then I'd give the uh, ground crew the signal to pull the chocks out from in front of the wheels release the brakes, and start taxiing out to the takeoff runway. And at that point, excitement would really take over because there, there you'd be on that mission. There was no turning back now. You're on your way. Before the D-Day Normandy invasion, we would start getting flack as soon as we got into northern France or, or, or um, Holland on our way to the target. And uh, anti-aircraft guns, uh, the word flak came from the German Flieger Abacanon, which means anti-aircraft cannon. And you put that together and you come up with flak. <laughs> Here we are going down the, the bomb run and without any 
forewarning or uh, expectation, the sky seems to start exploding around you. Everywhere you seem to look, you see black puffs of smoke. You're under fire. You have 88 and 105 millimeter cannon and batteries below trying to kill you. And they come close. When it's close, the plane bounces through it, and you hear pieces of steel punching holes into the side of your airplane. It's just aluminum. They go right through. Then you, you wonder, well, gee whiz, this is not Hollywood. This is real. The gunners on the ground have pretty good equipment. Germany's been in war for quite a while, smothering Europe, you know. And they come awfully close, <clears throat> sometimes too close. I would think things like, okay, I'm up here, I'm getting shot at, but I'm not going to be afraid of something that has not happened. And it's not happening. I got four engines going, none of the crew have been hurt, let's get on with it. And that would generally keep me calm, just that type of attitude. But on a Leipzig mission, without any warning at all, their first volley came right up underneath my airplane. And it bounced us into the air like it hit a speed bump in your car. Then you hear the sickening sound of the flak coming through your plane, you know. And it scared me. And I said, okay, that's self-preservation. But it wasn't okay because it didn't go away. You know, if you have a close call on the highway, you get scared and then you might get a little angry and it goes away. This did not go away. And I thought for a minute, I said, now wait a minute, wait a minute. You're strong, you're well-trained, you're up here for proving that you have skill to do this job, so cut this stuff out and get with it. I had traded fear for defiance. I'd become angry. Instead of feeling helpless, like I used to think of it as a, a wood duck in a carnival shooting gallery, you're becoming a warrior. And I, uh, about a few moments later, one went off at 11 o'clock, very close. We were only 100 feet or so away because we immediately hit the lower part of the concussion of the explosion. And it rocked the plane, bounced us around, and here flak was hitting off the bulletproof windshield, bouncing away. Got three holes through the nose. And I looked down, I said, you missed me. I, I knew that shouting into my oxygen mask wasn't going to shorten the war, but it still made me feel that, by golly, I can yell at you guys if I want to, you know. Then I remembered the ball turret gunner on that first explosion. It was right down there where the radio man and the ball turret gunner could either see it or hear it. And, I, and this is the way it went. Pilot the ball over. Ball over. You okay, Art? Yeah, but can you be a little more careful up there? <laughs> and then the radio man came in, Mills, and he says, I'm okay too in case anybody's interested. So here's the guy cracking jokes, and these explosions are going on constantly around us, you know. That, that, that's the way it was. I could come home with a few holes and know everything happens. The guy flying next to me could have two wounded on board and worried about one of his engines not lasting any longer. It's, it's almost like Russian roulette. Any combat's that way, on the ground, in the air. The guy next to you might get killed and you're okay. If an airplane had wounded on board, which happened now and then, he'd fire red, red flares. 
which meant I'm going to come in and land before any of you other guys. And he'd radio ahead and have ambulances waiting at the end of the runway. So he'd, they'd land, and, and then, then we'd come in and land when we were supposed to. Then we'd go to debriefing, where we'd be asked questions about the mission by uh, intelligence people. And uh, uh, for instance, on the uh, fighter attacks, they would uh, ask, how long was it? What kind of airplane? How long did they stay with you? What did they do when they left? Did they go down or did they stay up and look around for other planes? And uh, they would piece that together with the same questions they'd ask groups maybe two or three weeks ago. And they put that together and figured, we are doing something, bombing their fuel and oil refineries. We are, they, they are saving fuel. They didn't stay up that long. After, the, after debriefing, we'd be hungry. We'd wa want to go to the mess hall and get something to eat. We couldn't do it. We had to change clothes, get in our Class A uniforms with a shirt, tie, and a blouse, and a hat, the whole bit, before they would serve us in the mess hall. So if we're going to do that, we may as well take a shower. But you see what somebody had in mind? The shower and all of this is washing away a little of that mission. A little bit of the fear, the uneasiness, maybe the grief of seeing one of your friends go down like I did right in front of me, blew up right in front of me. And that, it helped. By the time we got dressed in our class of uniforms, we're going down to the mess hall to have a late lunch. Pretty proud of putting a big dent in Hitler's war machine. You know, it worked. Uh, after the war, I went to Bakersfield and I got some jobs. And I started in Bakersfield, uh, uh, University of California, Bakersfield, to pick up a couple subjects that I hadn't taken. And about that time, I decided uh, I, I think I want to pursue my career at, at drawing. I, I love to draw. Didn't get very good at it. I had no instruction particularly. So I dropped out of, of the college. But uh, came up here to go to the University of Washington, and they uh, were refusing all of out-of-state applicants because they were filled up with, the, with returnees from the state. So I went to professional art school and became a commercial artist. That was my career. It worked out pretty well. Thank you for joining me today on The Flight Deck, the podcast of the Museum of Flight in Seattle, Washington. Working with Dick has been one of the great honors of my time here at the museum. This story was just an excerpt from his larger oral history, and if you want to hear his whole story, which is excellent and well worth the time, or read a transcript of it, visit museumofflight.org podcast and find today's show notes for details as to how you can access them. Better yet, if you want to meet Dick in person, come on by the museum on most Saturdays. In the morning, you'll find him standing out in front of our B-17 in the Aviation Pavilion. And if you want, you can ask him if he brought his shrapnel. That's a little tip for you. Make sure you subscribe to The Flight Deck to stay up to date on our episodes. 
And please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you downloaded us from. Email the show at podcast at museumaflight.org. The Oral History Program is possible with the generous support of Michael and Mary Kay Hallman. Until next time, this is your host, Sean, saying we'll see you out there, folks. Music